Hi, everyone. I'm here with Narat, and Narat is the CEO and founder of Empiric. And Empiric is going to digitize the global industrial operations. And I'm going to let him explain more about what that's like when we get into the conversation. But first off, Narat, thank you for joining us and sharing you know, your company, what you're doing with Empiric. And I'd like you to start off by explaining a little bit about your background and uh, what brought you from, you know, starting back when you probably first got your education to now being the founder of a, this company, Empiric, and what was the journey that brought you to this point? Yeah. Um, first off, thanks for having me, Jerry. Thank you, Ty Soka Angels, for taking the time to learn more about myself and Empiric. Uh, we're really excited about the business and what we're doing and where we're going. So uh, I'll go ahead and start with my background and, and how we came up on this idea um, about 10 years ago, when I graduated college from the University of California, Riverside, I had a big urge to move to the Bay Area and learn more about the startup world and tech in general. Uh, I got my first internship at a business intelligence company here in the city. And that's when I fell in love with software. And I knew that uh, I didn't want to be in finance where I started. I wanted to be on the front lines, learning about customer problems, learning more about the industry and how I could potentially uh, find a niche one day and start a business um, out here in Silicon Valley. So I started over um, at, uh, again, a business intelligence company in finance, but I slowly moved to a sales role down south at a smaller software company called Simtrax, where uh, we were selling uh, software that was an add-on to the IBM and SAP at mainframe systems. Uh, it was a small company. I gained a lot of experience there where I learned from uh, closely from my CEO how to sell software, how to develop software, and also how to run a software business. And that was the beauty of working at a small company. While I was there, I led the team in sales for three years. I restructured the business model and doubled the U.S. sales in, in 2013. And shortly after that, I was recruited by a hardware and software startup called Daiquiri, where that truly opened my eyes to the future needs of the industrial enterprise and what they need for uh, in, in, in regards to new technology. Um, we got really excited about all types of different industrial hardware, uh, especially sensors. And a lot of different customers were screaming for new sensor technology and getting the sensor data up into a platform where they can finally become competitive with artificial intelligence. Um, they either had old IoT setups, they had old sensors where they couldn't get the data out of, and everything was siloed. And the more and more we asked, you know, is there a solution? What exactly do you guys need? The more we realized that there's really nothing out there that was scaling at an enterprise level. Again, there were small IoT uh, instances in manufacturing environments, in logistics, in warehouses, and in many parts of the supply chain. And we realized that this was a huge opportunity for a platform play and low-cost sensors to bring it all together. And that's when uh, we really started looking into the sensor market and where we could make uh, where we could get our foot into this industry. I started doing consulting and I had started a Salesforce consulting business because I wanted to keep my knowledge of an enterprise platform growing. So I knew that this would be a good way to uh, 
gain more expertise in the enterprise industry, uh, further that knowledge of an enterprise software platform, and also continue to understand what was needed in the in, in the sensor market. And it was at that point when I started doing Salesforce consulting and getting this business going, I started consulting for folks like Genentech, Gilead Sciences, Lonza Pharmaceuticals. And we saw a lot of commonalities that I just mentioned about different IoT setups. A lot of them were wired. Some of them were only deployed in uh, sets of 10 devices, five devices in different parts of the supply chain, but they really didn't have a one all-inclusive platform to bring it all together and finally start using AI at the foundation to become competitive in the future with things like predictive maintenance, more automated software workflows, and remote, um, remote control of their facilities and of these sensors. And so that's why we had started Empiric. Um, was to be that platform and to be uh, that foundation for them to finally take advantage of artificial intelligence with all their sensor and machine data for the future of their enterprise. And what we did was we first started working closely with Gilead and Genentech and Lonza Pharmaceutical, doing prototypes, getting feedback from them on specifically what they wanted out of the uh, out of these sensors, you know, what kind of data they wanted, what kind of uptime they needed. And then we finally came to our first version where we developed a real-time 24-7 uh, monitoring um, sensors and software platform that would easily set up uh, just like you would set up your Alexa or your Google Home. And you would have a foundation for artificial intelligence where you bring all the data together and finally start learning from it and being able to do things like predictive maintenance, remote monitoring, and build out more software um, automation, just like you would in any enterprise software platform. And so fast forward to today, we now have uh, two of the largest pharmaceutical companies as our customers, they're paying customers. They have done, um, Gilead Sciences has done about uh, $10,000 in revenue with us on a three-year deal. And uh, Lonza Pharmaceutical has done now about $31,000 in revenue with us on a three-year deal. And we have a smaller customer, Pasadena Bio, which is a biopharmaceutical incubator out in Pasadena. And they've done about $3,000 in revenue with us. And our plans to actually make this different from what everyone else has done in the past and actually scale this across the business to thousands of devices is to approach this at a software first play. A lot of folks, the, the, one of the bigger problems in the industry is a lot of folks in the past five years were coming at this uh, from a hardware standpoint. And that's why it wasn't scaling. In the enterprise, it takes really powerful software to scale this across different business units, across multiple facilities and across the world. And so that's why we came at this with a software first approach. We use, so what we've done is we use really low cost hardware and we cram our software in there and it automatically gets these sensors onto the cloud very quickly, which was one of the biggest problems. And as you deploy more sensors, this, our architecture automatically scales just like an enterprise system would. So for example, when we go from 10 to 100 to 1,000 devices, our databases, our servers, our 
everything will automatically scale from a software standpoint for our customers. So they'll never have to do that work on their own to upgrade their IoT systems. They just have to buy the devices and the software from us. And, okay, and so uh, the benefit to these customers in is, uh, you know, talk about the benefits to the customers of the platform. Then you kind of got into the, you know, the problem and the solution of what you're doing. Explain a little more about that solution and how it benefits the end customer and what applications that these companies are using your software and combined with the hardware. Yeah, absolutely. So a few really key points of how it benefits the customer is the ease of implementation. Um, Before, a lot of customers, Genentech, for example, spent $1.5 million on wiring a five-device IoT setup for just one portion of their South San Francisco plant, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas we have sensors that you can set up like your Amazon Alexa. If we send you 100 sensors, you can set those up in a couple hours. All you have to do is go online, create your user account, and we've already provisioned the sensors before we send them to you upon your purchase. And they automatically start uploading the data right away because we have out of the box LTE. And with that being said, we guarantee 24 seven uptime, which is something that a lot of folks didn't have as well. A lot of folks in the industry were not able to have 24 seven uptime because they didn't uh, have the means or they didn't have the resources to deploy a cellular network onto their devices. So we have an out-of-the-box LTE setup, and you can also add Wi-Fi in there as a redundancy so that you're always up and running and you always have that 24-7 visibility. Another huge benefit of our software is that it can be completely remote. In the time of COVID, we realized that this was more necessary and more valuable than ever. Just the other day, Lonza Pharmaceutical deployed 10 devices. And two weeks later, they asked for another 10 devices because they're having a three-month shutdown for the holidays because now businesses run a lot differently. They have hybrid uh, working models. So you can, so a lot of folks are off-site and for longer periods of time. And being able to do everything remotely from our platform, like see all your sensors in real time, uh, troubleshoot sensors over the air with over the air updating capabilities, or even understand exactly why they went down. Maybe it was a battery issue. Maybe it was a internet connection issue. It gives them a lot more actionable insights and they're able to actually solve these problems a lot faster um, when they're remote. And so those are some of the bigger benefits and an even bigger benefit for the future is that, as I had mentioned before, a lot of these IOT setups were siloed and in the enterprise world, it's all about centralization of data, especially for the future. If you want to take advantage of AI and finally be competitive against your customers. So we've created a, we've created this platform with a foundation of AI and, and that's because of our CTO and co-founder. And that's a huge, uh, a huge benefit outside of our technologies, our team. Our CTO and co-founder comes from a distributed systems and artificial intelligence background at Amazon, where he built the recommendation systems for Amazon Marketplace. So all those recommended items that you see on the front of the Amazon Marketplace, that's what our CTO has built. And not only did he build that, but he he's very well suited for an enterprise problem. He built a whole machine learning platform for all of the divisions at Amazon that is now used across 5,000 plus teams to do machine learning across the shared data for their developers. 
So he really understands not only how to build things at scale, but how, how to pitch and position this on an enterprise wide level. And that was a big problem um, in the industry before. Again, a lot of hardware folks, a lot of folks that work from so enterprise software backgrounds and our team is a huge benefit and a huge reason we're gonna succeed. I myself come from 10 years of enterprise software background. As I had mentioned, I started a Salesforce consulting business, which still runs today. And that's the money that I used to fund the development of Empiric and fund all the expenses associated up until today. Share with us, if I can, uh, for a moment, share with us what the actual sensor monitors, because I don't think, uh, you know, some people watching might not get, okay, these businesses, uh, facilities are putting in these sensors. Uh, yeah. It's improving what? What is it? What is it monitoring? What is it doing for those companies? Absolutely. So I'll give you an example. Uh, with Gilead and Lanza Pharmaceutical, they're using our basic temperature and humidity monitors right now. They're able to stick these sensors on the side of their freezers and put a probe into any type of freezer, whether it goes down all the way to negative 160 and it's an incubator, or if it's just a normal freezer that goes down all the way to negative 40. And they hold millions and millions of dollars of products, vaccines, for example. Uh, our sensors monitor the remdesivir therapeutic at Gilead, and that's a very temperature sensitive product. And those are worth millions of dollars. The, the loss of those products is very detrimental to them, not only from a financial standpoint, but from a time standpoint. They've spent a lot of time en uh, engineering these uh, specific um, vaccines and these specific medicines and stem cells and therapeutics. And that's a lot of time that they will also lose if they lose these vaccines. So there's a lot at stake here. Lanza Pharmaceutical is the same way in their manufacturing facility, they use our temperature and humidity monitors to monitor these freezers and the rooms these freezers sit in so that they can make sure that these products don't spoil. And these products are worth millions and millions of dollars and it can cost them a lot of, a lot of money and also a huge setback with their potential customers. They can lose relationships, for example. The other day, Lonza was telling us that, you know, in the past, before we had your sensors, we had lost huge relationships because products showed up spoiled or because they showed up damaged. And not only that, compliance is a huge thing in the pharmaceutical and manufacturing industry. They get audited by the FDA constantly, and they have to show that they have systems in place that are tracking all the temperature data and that they have historical temperature data and that these products are held at the right level. Otherwise, they're not sellable. And so that's one big benefit of how they're using these products uh, or how they're using our sensors now. They also want to do things like pressure uh, monitoring and energy monitoring to help uh, to help monitor the pressure of their of of their manufacturing plants so that they can be better with predictive maintenance. Monitoring the energy of your compressors and your manufacturing machines can help tell you, hey, is this machine using too much energy? Well, it's best that you start maintaining it now before it breaks down or before it costs you too much money and energy. So it's not only helping them save money on the energy bills, but it's helping them run their factories more efficiently by being able to maintain these, uh, these, in, these machines in advance. Yeah, no, sure. Uh, so let's talk about the market. And uh, I think it's pretty clearly evident that 
you know, you've targeted the life science market, and I believe your deck also discusses that, you know, the life science is what you're going to focus on initially. And that wow. makes sense, especially being you have some great companies that are already, you know, using the product uh, and software successfully. So talk about the overall market and, uh, and your go-to-market strategy. Yeah. So in the, uh, in, in, in the life sciences market in general, it's a $1.3 billion market just in the US alone. There's 26,200 uh, third-party distributors um, and, and direct c customers and manufacturers of pharmaceuticals, medical devices, and also biotech. We plan to focus on uh, life sciences and, uh, and similar adjacent industries. So any kind of cold, uh, manufactured product, food and beverage, chemicals as well. And we plan to focus on any, any of these companies that have either a distribution or manufacturing component, because that's where the big dollars are at in terms of how many sensors they would buy. Our goal is to start uh, really working closely with folks like Gilead and Lanza Pharmaceuticals and also prospect into smaller companies at the same time. The reason we want to focus on Lanza and Gilead uh, very closely in the beginning is because they have, for example, hundreds of facilities worldwide, and they've given us access now to, they've bought, they've bought sensors now in uh, their Gilead in their Laverne facility down South and Lonza Pharmaceutical in their Hayward facility here in the Bay area. And what we want to do is build more sensors, more software for these facilities, and then showcase those to higher ups as you would in an enterprise sale and show them that, hey, this can scale across all your facilities all over the world. And you guys can finally centralize all this information. And that's really important because it's a network effect, right? In the enterprise, once you start something, it's best to continue on with that system and continue to develop on that system and share the knowledge on that system. And it just becomes easier and easier in terms of an investment and in terms of, uh, uh, in terms of gaining the knowledge on how to use the system. They'll, they'll invest less over time in terms of manpower because they'll be able to share all the information that one facility has with every other facility. Alongside that, we'll be prospecting heavily into food and beverage, into other life sciences companies, and into also uh, chemical manufacturing companies. In the past five weeks, we've just started cold prospecting, and we have a already a fine-tuned sales system with three interns that are getting two meetings a week. So, And that's because of my background in enterprise sales and the industry. And we also have a contract head of sales who comes from SAP and who comes from Coupa two of the largest enterprise software companies in the world. So we know that the enterprise software and hardware industry is a sales game. Yes, you have to have very powerful technology, but it is about knowing how to navigate the industry from a sales perspective. And that's why we feel like we're going to be a way more competitive team than a lot of these teams in the past, because a lot of them come from hardware backgrounds. We know how to, we know how to sell into the enterprise and we also know how to write software and, and create, technology that scales with the enterprise. 
Okay. And, you know, software first is what you shared. And yeah. but you also have the sensor, which is the hardware component. And uh, talk about, so talk about the monetization as far as how, how much right now are the sensors being sold from, or mm-hmm. sold for, and, uh, you know, what's the margin and how does that look like, you know, as production increases, and then talk about the revenue model for the actual software and like, you know, what the companies are paying for that. Absolutely. So from a hardware standpoint, we sell each of our temperature nodes for $200 a piece. And our gateways, uh, which are like the central hub that collects the data from all the bordering temperature nodes and sends it to the cloud or either stores it locally and processes it with edge computing capabilities, those cost a thousand a piece. With the with software licenses, it's a one-to-one. For every device you sell, whether it be a gateway or a temperature node, you will have to have one equivalent software license. So for software license for temperature nodes, that's $200 a year. And for a gateway license, that's $1,000 a year. For future devices, like our energy monitoring sensor that we're already starting to prototype and, and pilot with customers, and our vibration monitoring sensors, flow monitoring sensors, and other sensors, we're going to have the same type of business model. It'll always be a one-to-one. We will have different tiered pricing for different devices, just depending on the value that they provide. Uh, For example, our energy monitoring sensor is going to be $500 per license per year, and our uh, and other sensors will have different tiered pricing as well, just depending on the value they provide. And on top of that, as we grow the company and grow the business, we are planning to release our um, custom software licensing. So for example, if Lonza Pharmaceutical tomorrow asks, hey, can you build something, some software application specific to our processes, we'll price that separately and we'll turn that into a recurring software license. And they've already expressed a lot of needs for custom software development. On top of that, we plan to add licenses around predictive analytics. So as after a year, you're set to take advantage of predictive analytics after you've centralized a lot of data or brought it in from other systems. And we'll be charging anywhere from, we'll be charging 10,000 per predictive analytic license per, um, per certain amount of sensors. And so that can scale very rapidly as you scale up sensors, it'll be per 10 sensors, you'll charge $10,000 per predictive analytics license. So we plan to have one software license per device, but the real power is gonna come when we start doing custom application development for these companies, when they start doing predictive analytics, and when we start to continue to find more software applications to license. Okay, fantastic. And let's talk about uh, let's talk about revenue. You already shared some about UR, in revenue with Gilead and, you know, a couple of the companies that you're working with, uh, you know, so what are, what are you looking at for like year to date revenue? What are projections going to look at and then kind of go into the raise and, you know, the purpose of raising to scale that and uh, what the usages of funds and runway look like for that? Yeah. So right now amongst our three customers, Gilead, Lonza and Pasadena Bio are all signed on to three year deals. Um, collectively, their ARR amounts to about 12K. So it's a small print, but they are on a three-year deal, giving us a lot of time to grow the accounts and find more opportunity um, for more revenue. By the end of the year, with some of the prospects that we have in the pipeline, some of the deals that we have in the pipeline, we hope to be about 
50 to 75,000 in annual recurring revenue, let's say 50 on the safer side. By next year, we want to be at 300, about 300,000 in annual recurring revenue. And by the end of year two, we want to be at about 1.5 million in annual recurring revenue. We're looking for a $750,000 investment on a safe note at a $10 million valuation on a 20% discount. That 750,000 at the point of investment is going to help us hire a few engineers, one hardware, uh, our CTO full-time, one account executive, one business development representative, and then it'll also give us money to manufacture and have inventory on hand. By month 18, we should be at about 1 million in annual recurring revenue and be able to rightfully pitch for our, uh, our Series A round. And by the end of two years, we hope to be at about 1.5 million in annual recurring revenue. Okay, fantastic. So what, what's the long-term objective? The long-term objective, of course, will entertain an exit. Uh, at year five, at year three and year five, we'll entertain exits. But we are so passionate about this company, and I'm sure um, you've heard this a lot, or you don't hear a lot. But we would love to take this company public and be a household name for the for for the generations to come. We see this as a, not only a industry specific problem, but this is a world problem. These types of companies are even more prominent outside the United States. And we wanna have presence everywhere. We want Empiric devices to be in every factory all over the world. And not just in life sciences and, and food and beverage and chemical manufacturing, but we wanna move into adjacent industries after oil and gas, automotive, any type, any type of industry that has sensors or a manufacturing component. Okay, that's, that's great. And I think it's very important to note and we discussed that prior this prior to starting the interview, but you yourself have put in two hundred thirty thousand into the company. Yeah, correct? yeah, I put in two hundred thirty thousand of my own money. Um, at, at one point, I worked nights at a restaurant just to pay my employees. After that, I started that Salesforce consulting business, where every piece of profit I put back into uh, Empiric and and the devices and this business. And I don't plan to stop, whether it happens. Uh, you know, I will always continue to reinvest my own money. I truly believe that this is a company that needs to exist in the world, not just today, but in the future for us to actually take advantage of this fourth industrial revolution. And that is, you know, extremely important and says a lot to the investors that are going to be watch, watching this. I mean, that that's impressive. And, uh, Thank you. you know, not just saying that, but that that is extremely impressive. It's rare that we'll see a company at your stage that's just getting into, you know, gotten into revenue, has a couple really solid and impressive clients. So you have some of that early traction, which is always attractive, but uh, still at a small revenue company, the amount that you put into it now going into this raise, you know, kudos to you for that. And you're at that. That's Thank impressive. You. So, Thank you, Jerry. Uh, you know, would like to get into then let's let's talk about, you know, expound on that raise, but let's talk about investors. Uh, maybe, first of all, let's talk about maybe some of the stumbling blocks that you've ran into, maybe roadblocks in starting your fundraising. If you've ran into any, if you ran into a, any stumbling blocks or had any roadblocks put up for you with fundraising? Uh, you know, we just started more aggressively fundraising uh, this year. Um, but prior, you know, a, a year ago when we tried to fundraise before we had customers, 
um, we found it difficult because a lot of people saw competition in the market. A lot of people said, we've seen this IoT play uh, been tried before. It's been tried. And what, you know, what, what we really are pushing is that we're the right team to do it, one. And two, it's timing with the technology. And so that's been uh, a message that we have been trying our best to convey. And we hope that we, it, it gets better and better as we get more customers. And so we figured, you know what, it's time to take a step back and focus on sales for a little bit, prove that we are a valuable solution and that people are willing to pay for it and then go start raising again. So we hope that it's different this time around now that we have customers and we have revenue in the door. And, you know, we didn't talk about competition, so you brought it up. So, you know, let's, yeah. you know, touch upon that, you know, what the competition is out there. Yeah. So um, there, there are a few main competitors, uh, Samsara being one of them. They focus specifically on the fleet industry right now and building sensors and software for the fleet industry. They're starting to bleed a little bit in manufacturing because manufacturing is where the big money is at in the future. Um, so they are a potential competitor at one point in the future. Uh, Augury is another potential competitor. They're focused fully on manufacturing and sensors and software for manufacturing. Um, so they may bleed into being competition as well. Uh, we see ourselves as a really sound competitor, not only because we're focused on specific industries that don't, those two competitors are not focused on right now, but also because we are following a very, very software-focused approach. Uh, Samsara and even some smaller players that I haven't mentioned, they build very complex hardware. They build great software as well, but we focus on building very great software. And I'll tell you why that's a big differentiator from us versus our competitors. We grabbed a low-cost sensor off the shelf the other day, and our time to integration is so fast that we were able to get this sensor that does temperature, humidity, light, vibration, and senses atmospheric molecules. We were able to get this sensor up and running with our libraries that we can cram into any sensor within two hours. It was up on our platform, the data is already streaming there, and they're able to use our applications against that data. So that's why we see ourselves as a big competitor. Not only is it gonna be easy for us to develop new sensors for our customers, and rework uh, customizations on those sensors, but we can, we can also allow customers to do it themselves. For example, an Accenture one day can take our libraries and our software platform, and they can bring a thousand of their own devices to the table and say, hey, we have a huge oil and gas customer. We really like your platform. We really like how easy it is to integrate and get set up. We wanna use it with these 1000 sensors in a matter of a couple weeks versus what used to be years, they can cram our libraries and their, and customize at the device level and also customize at the platform level in a matter of days to a couple of weeks. And they can have pilots going and they can go into production very quickly after that. that that's fantastic and, and, and impressive as well. So uh, last question for you other than, well, actually I'm gonna ask, how, how do people get in touch with you? What's the best way to reach you? So right now you can reach me at my email and that's my first name, Narat, N-I-R-A-T at empiric.io, E-M-P-I-R-I-C dot I-O. Uh, you can also directly call me. I take calls any uh, any time of the day. Doesn't matter if it's night, doesn't matter if it's the middle of the night or early in the morning, 310-753-8993. 
Okay, and we'll scroll that information. Uh, it'll be available on the video as well. And uh, awesome. last question, promise. Uh, you know, investors are always looking for specific things with with startups. You know, they might have this right. certain sector or vertical that they're looking at. What What are you looking for in an investor? What type of investor and what are the qual qualities of characteristics of an investor that you would like to see uh, get involved with Empiric and support Empiric? Yeah, that's a, a really good question, Jerry. And, you know, I'll list it in, in, in terms of priority. The highest priority uh, for an investor that we would love, but we're not married to is an investor that has a background in enterprise software and hardware and manufacturing. Uh, we know that not only is the enterprise world a game of experience, a lot, a lot of connections can come with that experience, a lot of know-how on how to navigate the industry can come with that experience as well. So it's always good to learn from those folks, even though we have a lot of knowledge of our own. From a manufacturing standpoint, that is purely an experience play. If we can have someone advise us on the manufacturing front, bring contacts to the table and help us navigate and tighten up our supply chain, we know we're going to be a successful company. So that's really huge for us. Second, behind that, we would love someone that just understands the enterprise software space. These sales cycles are not like sales cycles in the consumer space. It takes an investor that has been, uh, for us, at least from our standpoint, we, uh, it, we think it takes an investor that has been a part of an enterprise software company from beginning to end that understands the sales cycles, that understands the development cycles, and what it takes to bring products to markets and sell into the enterprise. So we would like either one of those investors to be a part of our team. Uh, we're not going to close the doors on folks that don't fit that bid, but those are our investors that we're really focusing on having as a part of our, our first round. Uh, that's, that's great and very specific. And that's, that's good knowledge to have. And, uh, you know, Nirad, it's been a pleasure. It's been very insightful. I, you know, wish you the best and the most success. Uh, I'll be following you, your journey as the journey continues forward. And again, thank you for your time. Yeah. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you everyone at Ty SoCal Angels. And we'd love to have you a part of our team.